Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here this morning. Thank you for being here. And uh, it's wonderful to be together, to see one another and fellowship and worship together and grow together and encourage one another. We're so glad to have our visitors with us as well and those who are joining us online. And a special treat, we're so glad to have Sister Edna Cotton and uh, her daughter Leah with us this morning. Thank you for being here. And uh, it's just a treasure and a blessing to see you. Be sure you hug uh, Sister White Cotton before you leave this morning. James continues in to get in our business as he's been doing throughout this series. And he doesn't stop until you get done with his letter because that's what he does and sets out to do in his letter is to, to get in our business and say, look, wake up, your faith has got to be active and alive. It's not dormant. It's not in hibernation. It's got to be doing something and glorifying God. And so he brings back up something that he talked about in chapter 1. As he often does, he kind of goes in and out of some topics. He'll mention something, leave it there, and then come back to it. And so he's bringing back up the tongue. In, in chapter starting in chapter 3 and about how we're supposed to speak to one another. And so don't worry this isn't going to get in this isn't going to hit you too hard because none of us have a problem with our speech with our tongue, do we? We're, we we all of our words are perfect and and we never get it wrong and stick our foot in our mouth and anything like that, do we? So it will be something for somebody else you can tell them about because they need it, probably not any of us. But James doesn't talk about the tongue like we might talk about the strongest tongue in the world, and that's the tongue of a tiger. Kids, you can go to school tomorrow and say, hey, I learned something about a tiger. Did you know a tiger's tongue is the strongest in the world? And also, it's very, very rough. In fact, the way God made it, it's so rough, it can lick the paint off of a wall. And I made it that way. God made his tongue that way because when he eats, he's licking and, and eating an animal. And so he's got to be able to get uh, all of the good stuff off of those bones, doesn't he? <laughs> and if you've ever felt a cat's tongue, a kitty cat's tongue, well, it's rough too, but it's not like the tiger. But James is not talking about the tongue in that way and in the way we might uh, look at the blue whale's tongue, which is the heaviest tongue in all of the world, and it can weigh over two and a half tons, which is about the weight of a large elephant. And so we look at a massive blue whale, the largest creature on earth, and his tongue alone is massive, over two and a half tons in weight. And we think, wow, that's an amazing thing. And James is like, yeah, I know, it's, but, but I'm not talking about that muscular organ in your mouth. In a way, that I am because uh, it, that's what's happening. It's a part of uh, the process here. It's a, it, it contributes to the problem. But he's talking about it in a spiritual way, isn't he? Not just the organ itself, but, but maybe the trouble that it gets us in. 
And so he's talking about it on a spiritual dimension. And that's what he wants us to understand. You see, the the tongue is something Christians have to understand on a deeper level beyond the organ that it is, on a spiritual level. It is key to our spiritual lives. And the words that come out of our mouths, they say something about who we are on the inside, about our character, about the quality of our spiritual lives. And James has written already, as we've looked at, about faith and works. He just talked about that in the last chapter. And, and now he moves into talking about our speech. And guess what? He, he, he puts our speech, our words, our tongue in there just like an action or a deed. And he's saying, it's all in there together. I mean, it is a deed, it is an action that you're doing when you, when you speak and the words that come out. It's a part of who you are and what you do. And he's saying, just like you t- we have to take our actions seriously as a Christian, and they should come out of our faith in God, so too our words ought to be treated in the same way and looked at in the same way. And so a person's words reflect their whole character, and are key to their whole spiritual being. So look at James chapter 3, and let's look at the first couple of verses here. He begins by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he introduces this thought about teachers and a real strong, important statement about teachers. But then he talks about our tongue, our speech. And and he has already introduced this concept of a bridle that he's going to bring up again in a moment. Now, in James' world, especially among the Jewish people, teachers were highly esteemed. They were highly respected. They were imitated. Teachers were very important people in their culture. And so because of that, it seems as though possibly that James is saying to these new Christians, remember, spread out over uh, all of Palestine because they had to escape uh, Jerusalem because of their faith, because of persecution. And so he's writing to them, and, 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 and they're in their house churches all over and their their meeting places all over as they come together people have to teach and so he's writing to them and he's saying look teachers understand there's a great responsibility in teaching the word that not everyone ought to be just uh, uh, trying to be a teacher now what is he getting at if we look at the context of what he's saying he's not saying hey here's your loophole to say no to teaching that's not what he's saying That's not your loophole scripture. What he's saying is, is that you need to understand that your character and the weight of your words and the weight of your responsibility in communicating the word of God matters. That matters a lot. Because he immediately goes into talking about our words. Uh, You know, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, rightly so, because they're teaching and handling the word of God. There's great responsibility in handling the Word of God. But then he says, if anyone uh, who does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole tongue. 
So he introduces what we say. And then we're going to mess up in what we say. So some of the teachers, it is thought, some of the people were pursuing uh, uh, to be teachers, wanted to be teachers in the church because of the esteem that they might get out of that. Because they wanted to elevate their own social status and their own following and their own uh, sense of importance. And he's saying that's not the reason you do anything in the Lord's church. It's not about you. It's not because you want to be seen as someone important or smart or followed or imitated. He said this is about communicating the word of God. That's really what James is getting at. In, in our text here. And so uh, in James's previous call for good works, he, he, he knows that we're not perfect. He's letting us know here, look, I understand. I'm calling you to a high standard. I'm calling you to be like Christ, but, but I know we're not perfect. I know we fall short. And so he's understanding with us. He's, he's walking us through that. And he knows, as we says, that, that we're going to stumble But when we do, and he's going to show us later, we're going to look at what what we do when we stumble. And and, and how can we keep from stumbling? And then when we do, what do we do? So he's going to show us that as we get further along. Now look at verses 3 through 8. Verses 3 through 8. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They're so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, James says, full of deadly poison. James says some huge things about such a tiny part of our body, doesn't he? He says that we we go around and we make these big boasts about who we are and what we've accomplished and, and, and all of those things about life. And then we go with our tongue and we also set all these fires because of the things that we say. We set forests on fires. We, we hurt lives. We, we damage things. We leave wreckage in our past. All because of this tiny tongue that causes such big problems. He says we can tame all of these animals and creatures, but we can't even control ourselves. We can't even tame our own tongue. He says the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He keeps on going. As if that wasn't enough for us to feel bad about, you know, like, oh man, I remember yesterday or this morning. You know, if, if that wasn't enough, he continues on. And he says that it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Those are some harsh words about our tongue. Small things can make a big difference. And they might be for good, which we can use our tongue, our words for good. And of course, as he's saying, we can use them for great harm as well. And so what's the message for Christians? The message for Christians is that our words matter just as much as our actions matter. That's what he wants us to understand. I've been talking about actions. I want you to understand your words are just as important. How you use your words, what you say. Now look at verses 9 through 12 of chapter 3. He continues to talk about the tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, he says, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce Fresh water. He uses these examples in nature, these, these contradictions in nature that we know like, yeah, of course, we understand that. It's kind of a parable way of saying that, like Jesus would talk, his brother that he listened to and learned from. He kind of talks in that same way and he said, look at, the, look at nature, look at this, look at this, think about this. And he says, well, then, therefore, the same is true about our words. We can't over here be, be saying horrible things. And, and, and talking bad about people and being ugly. And then over here come to church and be singing, ring the message out. He said, that, doesn't, that don't make no sense. And that's not how Christians are supposed to be. We're not supposed to produce good and bad fruit. And he's urging us, he's pushing us, he's, he's challenging us. You're only supposed to produce good fruit. Quit producing the bad fruit. Get rid of that. So now look over at chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James leaves the subject of our words here. And he has something to say then about who we listen to. All right? So we've been talking about our words, how we talk. And now he's going to say something about who we listen to and where we get our wisdom from. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So you see the contrast? He's saying there's this wisdom. There's, there's some people who listen to the wisdom of the world and look at their lives and look at how li they live. They're, they're motivated by, they're guided by jealousy and selfish ambition. It's all about what they want. What's going to propel them forward. What's going to be an advantage to them. What they feel like doing and having. That, and that's how so many of the people of the world live. Who don't know Christ. They're motivated by what they want. 
what they want to do, what they want to get out of life, and they don't care who they have to run over. And I've had different kinds of jobs in, in this, uh, non-profit and for-profit and, and, and uh, higher ed and different places, and I've seen that in every place. And you have too. You've seen, you've had supervisors, you've had co-workers, and you saw the difference that it made when somebody was motivated because of what they wanted, their ambition, and they didn't care about anything else but what they wanted and getting ahead. They didn't care if they hurt you, made you look bad, stepped on you, pushed you down. They were going to get what they wanted. And they didn't care if they had to cheat. It didn't matter at all. And then you've seen people who didn't handle themselves that way. And there's a difference in character in that person. The person who is a Christ follower doesn't live that way. They, they don't listen to the wisdom of the world. They listen to the wisdom that comes from above. And it's altogether different. And James says it's first of all pure. There's no impurity in this wisdom in who they listen to and the way they handle themselves because their motives are pure. They're not based, guided by selfish ambition and jealousy. And that's how the Christian is supposed to live. The wisdom from above causes us to live godly, pure, spiritual lives when we listen to the wisdom above, to God, to God's Word. When we let that guide us, then we live differently than the way they live in the world when they're guided by the worldly wisdom. And so our conduct... The way we act, he's revisiting this, our, act, our actions, how we live. It shows who we listen to. How I act, how I behave, how I live shows who I'm listening to. And it shows who you're listening to when you get wrong, when you mess up, when you blow it. What do you do? Do you turn it around? And we're going to look at that. James is going to show us what to do. When you're trying to listen to godly wisdom, to follow his word, and then you blow it, what do you do? But some people, when they listen to the wisdom of the world, they don't care. They're just after what they want. It's a totally different mindset and motivation. When we listen to God, we act like children of God. When we listen to the world, we act like children of the world. Or you could say children. I think Jesus even called maybe the Pharisees, if I remember correctly, children of the devil. Why? Because you're, listen, you're listening to what's totally opposite of God's word and his design and purpose for our lives. What he wants for, uh, for our lives. And if you're not listening to him, then you're listening to worldly wisdom. And that doesn't get you anywhere good. Now look at chapter 4. And we'll, we'll hit... We'll hit these verses uh, kind of more, more succinctly because it's a lot here to cover. But look at, listen to what James says, first of all, in verses 1 through 4. He, he just immediately asks this question right after he said what he just said. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? In other words, he just talked about who you're listening to, the worldly wisdom or, or godly wisdom. He said, well, think about it. What's causing the fussing among you? These are, these are Christians, new converts, converted in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, spread out, scattered, leaving their home because they were persecuted in their faith, trying to figure out how to live for God. So they're, they're new at this. And he's saying, think about it. What causes fussing and fighting among you? 
Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. See, not with pure motives to spend it on your passions, wrongly motivated. So we see more and more worldliness here. And James is writing to these Christians. He's saying, look, you got to get the worldliness out of you and you got to be listening to God's wisdom, not the worldly wisdom. Now look at verses 4 through 10. Then he tells us the problem is who we're friends with. So he's brought up how we talk, our words, our tongue. And he said, now who are you listening to? It matters who you listen to. And now he's saying, and it also matters who your friends are. So who are your friends? Look at verses, uh, starting in verse number four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Uh, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He says a lot there, but he's telling us, first of all, who are you friends with? Whose side are you on? Where are your friends? And what world are they in? Are they of this world? Are they, are they of heaven? In other words, are you a friend of God or a friend of this world? And so friendship with the world, he says, is hostility towards God. When we become a friend of the world, we become an enemy of God. That's a strong statement. That's a bold statement. He's not, he's not playing around. He's not trying to please everybody here. He's saying, look, it's black and white. You're a friend of the world or you're a friend of God. And James wanted these new Christians who had to leave their home because of persecution, who are trying to uh, hold on to their faith. He's saying it means something to be a Christian. It means something in your life. It means that you're a friend of God. It means something to follow Jesus. It meant something then and it means something now. And we have to live differently. To be a Christ follower means you follow Jesus and not the world. It's that simple. You follow the wisdom of God and you follow the lifestyle that Jesus has laid out for us. It means you can only be friends with one of them. You can't. So when you become a Christian, you're saying to the world, you're saying to the world, I can't be your friend anymore. We can't hang out anymore. I can't come over. We can't go do stuff anymore. We, we can't talk anymore. Don't even text me. I'm blocking your number. I, I'm, I'm blocking you on social media. We can't be friends anymore. That's what you're saying to the world when you become a Christian. And you're at the same time saying to Jesus, I'm your friend. I follow you. We hang out. We're best buds. 
You see, it, it's one or the other, James says. He doesn't give us any room to say, yeah, I'm going to hang out over here today, and then tomorrow I'm going to hang out over here. I'll be back. I'll see you all. You know, I'm back. Hey, y'all miss me? He said, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You're over here or you're over here. And it's that simple. Well, we wish it was that simple, don't we? <laughs> It's, he says it in, in such simple terms, but we know that's hard, that's hard to live out. That's hard to live out, and we blow it plenty of times. But he's saying that he's telling this, them this in such urgent words because he's got to get this through sometimes our thick heads and our hard hearts, and we need to hear it in just real straightforward words, don't we? And so look at verse 5. He says that God yearns jealously for us. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is God doing something wrong? Is he, is he wrong because he yearns jealously? No, God, God is perfectly pure and holy and, 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 and can't, cannot do anything wrong. See, we only understand jealousy because, hey, they've got that, I want that. See, that's selfish ambition. That's a sinful jealousy. What, what that means that God is a jealous God, that he yearns jealously for us, is that he created us, he formed us and knit us together, and he put his spirit to live in us, that breath of life that we see in the creation story of the garden. And he says, all I want is a relationship with you. That's what I want you. And, and, and he's saying the best thing for us is God. There's literally nothing better for us than God. To be in a right relationship, a saving relationship with Him, to be close to Him, that's the best thing for us. And He's saying, I that's how bad I want you, and I'm showing you how bad I want you because I sent my Son to die for you. I did this because that's how bad I want you, He says. He yearns jealously for us. All he wants is us. He wants us to leave over here and come over here with him. Be with him and be with him forever. That's what he wants. And so when, when, when he says, when James says that in verse 6, God gives us more grace, why did he say that? He said he, gave us, he gives us more grace because he knows. He knows sometimes we still go over here and hang out, right? He knows we blow it with our words. We mess up in our actions. He knows we still had not left this totally. We got to work on it. And we're supposed to. And that's the goal. But God gives us more grace. Now, how do we get this grace? What do you mean? Does God just say, oh, yeah, no big deal. Here, let me sprinkle some grace on you. Is that what God does? No, that's, that's not what James is saying. He's saying but he gives us more grace because he understands. He gives grace, he extends grace to those who turn to him in humility. We call that repentance. They say, I messed up, I hung out with the wrong people, I was hanging out with the world again. And I messed up all over. And we come back to God in true humility and repentance. And we find grace in our time of need. Approach his throne of grace, the Hebrew author said. And so James tells us, here's what you do. Here's what you do when you mess up, when you blow it. He says, you uh, draw near to God. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the first thing you got to do is you got to come over here and submit yourself to God. Because you left and you went over here and submitted yourself to the things of the world that you were doing. That you wanted to do and you knew what you were doing and you did it again. He said, you've got to submit to God instead of submitting to the world. And when you submit to God, then you're immediately resisting the devil. You're saying, nope, I resist you, I'm not doing that. And it goes together. You don't get to do one or the other. It all goes together. When I submit to God, I'm resisting the devil. And then James continues. He says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So you, 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 want, you want your arms wrapped around him and his arms wrapped around you. That's how close you want to be, to use an illustration with God. And, and the closer I can be and squeeze no room in between us, the closer I can be, then the more submissive I'm going to be to God and the easier it is to resist the devil when they come calling, when they come texting and say, hey, come on, come on, girl. What's up, bro? Come on. When they start calling you back, it's easier to resist. Why? Because you're like this with God. Your BFFs with God, it's not a problem for you. So the closer I am to God, the more I submit to God, the easier it is to resist the devil, right? And that's what James wants for us. That's what God wants for us. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then James says, we need to get ourselves cleaned up. Wash your hands. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Let God clean you up. Let him, let him wipe all that worldly stuff off of you. That's what we call forgiveness. When you come sub submitting, you confess to him, you repent. He forgives you. He gives us more grace. And he wipes, he gets out his wipe. He wipes all that sin off you. We know that's the blood of, blood of Jesus that washes your sins away. Well, how do I get that? It's when I've submitted myself to God and surrendered myself to him and been baptized, united with Jesus through baptism. That's the only way to get it. And then my sins are washed away and I'm given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The one who lifts up their sins, as James finishes here, lifts up, uh, uh, the one who God lifts, lifts up, exalts, is the one who humbly submits to him, who says, I'm, I've sinned. They surrender, they, they repent, and what does he do to that person? Humble yourself, and he will exalt you. He'll lift you back up. You come to him broken and beat up and dirty from the world because you're over here playing and hanging out, and you come to him with a repentant attitude, the right attitude, and he picks you up, he cleans you up, and stands you back up, puts his arms around you. And that's the way our relationship with God is supposed to be. And if you don't have that relationship with God today, we want you to have that. Well, how do I get that? you got to become a Christian, like we said. Here's this thought. Does what you say, who you listen to, and who influences you bring glory to God? That would be the question that summarizes what James is saying here. What you say, who you listen to, and who your friends are, who influences you, does that bring glory to God? Well, I, I, I need to turn to God. I need God to fix this. I need help. And we turn to God and we obey the gospel by putting on Christ in baptism. 
We hear the gospel message and we say, I, I believe that and I want that. And what, is, what does the Bible say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. When do I get that forgiveness? When I'm baptized. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we live faithfully. And guess what? When we blow it, when we mess up, he gives us more grace. And he's there to lift us up when we come back to him in repentance. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.